All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, which is to me is one of the most power-packed verses in, in Paul's... If you wanted to get Paul's uh, uh, theology on grace, it's in this one verse. There's like four major uh, things that he says here that I wanted to just read to you and talk to you a little bit about this morning because... I believe the Lord is trying to bring people into a fresh, a freshness in His grace, um, and He wants us, He wants to to grow us in His grace. Amen? Amen. And so this is what Paul said. He said, "And God is able to make all grace abound towards you." Isn't that wonderful? That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. That's that's really if you had to pick one verse in the Bible to to reveal what Paul's revelation on grace uh, was, that would be it. And so I wanted to just to talk to you a little bit about that because I believe um, we all need um, to know more revelation about grace. First, he said, God is able. Okay, that's a very uh, sort of, you could just read right over the top of that, but that's a very powerful little phrase there. In the Bible, there's basically three descriptions of God, maybe more, uh, but in terms of the nature of God. One, it says God is love, okay? One, it says God is light, and one, here it says God is able. That's speaking of power. So, God is love, God is, and, and light speaks of, of wisdom, okay? God is love, God is wise, and God is powerful, and that's how God uh, deals with mankind. When God reveals Himself to any person, that's how we're going to. He's going to reveal Himself. He's going to re either reveal Himself in love, power, or wisdom. Now, I personally think in this hour that we're living in, the revelation of God's wisdom is of primary importance to the church. Um, you know, in Ephesians it says that the church will actually reveal the manifold wisdom of God to the powers and principalities in the heavenly places. So that's really what God is wanting to do now. I, at least in my life, He's speaking a lot to me about the wisdom of heaven, the wisdom of the ages that God has, has available to, to you and I. I wanted to read, say, the person doing the, is Becca, you got to have to work hard and help me here because I, I want you to read and keep going back to the Second Corinthians, okay? But let's put Second Timothy 1, 7 up. This is what uh, Paul said to um, Timothy. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, love, but of, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, so there you have it, power, love, sound mind, wisdom. Okay, that, That's what God, when God deals with us, that's how he, he deals with us. If you get into the spiritual realm at all, that's what the spiritual realm is. It's, it's a realm of love. It's a realm of power, and it's, and it's a, a realm of wisdom. And so whenever God begins to reveal that realm, there's going to be those things being released to, to you. You can tap into those things. And however, whatever God is in that moment, whatever He's interested, He's going to possibly, likely emphasize one maybe more than the others. You know, we have a lot of emphasis on the Father's love in this church, Right? Uh, because that's what God has emphasized. That's why we're emphasizing it. We're not. That's not like a clever idea, right? It is what the Father is doing in the earth is revealing to people His loving heart 
And that's something he is constantly wanting to convince people of, uh, that we would be rooted and grounded in his love. And, and because if we don't have that, we're just going to struggle in our lives. And, but he also wants to re- reveal himself as power. He wants, he wants us walking in power. Uh, Jesus, it says, that when he went to his hometown in Matthew 13, it says they became offended at Jesus because they said, where did this man get this power and this wisdom? Okay, and it's just mind-blowing how uh, grace offends people. Because, you know, God's grace is an expression of Himself. It's an expression of His love. It's an expression of His power. It's an expression of His wisdom. And so anytime we begin to tap into a greater revelation of, of grace, there's an offense that the religious spirit will come against that. It, I mean, it's just mind-boggling that Jesus, they were offended at Jesus because of His wisdom and power. But, but that's what it is because grace is a very threatening thing to the religious spirit. It's very threatening to the, to the status quo. When God begins to release a love for people who don't deserve it lavishly on them, that threatens the status quo. When He does powerful things, that, that threatens them. When, when His wisdom comes down, that's a threat to the worldly system. And so God really wants... That's why when I say God's interested in giving us a fresh revelation of grace because He wants to reveal those aspects of grace to us. And now the demonic realm is, you know, the fear realm. It's fear, insecurity, guilt, and shame. So if you've got any of those things operating in you, you're tapping into the dark world. If you're, I'm serious. I, it doesn't matter. You, you, we can all say everybody's afraid, but really fear comes from the devil. It doesn't come from God. So if, you, if fear is having an effect in your life, the devil's having an effect in your life. If, or do y'all get that? We should never make decisions based on fear. Oh, well, I'm afraid if I don't do this, this will happen. That is not a good reason. That's a bad reason. I know that might go against the grain. Like, I better do what my mama says or she's going to whip me. I'm afraid I'm going to get a whipping. Well, that's a bad, bad way to live your life because you're going to get a lot of whippings, you know. <laughs> that's how I used to think when I was a kid. I was afraid. I like, boy, if my mama catches, she's going to beat the fire out of me, so I don't think I'll do this. Well, I went up doing it anyway and got caught anyway. Right? So I just want to encourage us when we begin to think of our motives and stuff, when we begin to think that we're being motivated by fear, it's like, Lord, you didn't, this is not from you. Amen? This is not from you. So that's the first thing I wanted to say that God is able, okay, in your life. God is able. No matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on in your life, God is able. God, because God is power. And so when we begin to look at impossible situations and circumstances, don't forget God is able. Yeah. Don't forget that's who He is. And when He is into a situation or circumstances, his, that's what He wants to reveal, His enabling power. Okay? Now, Paul goes on and says this. this is just, that was number one, God is able. Number two, God is able to make, everybody say, all grace. All, all grace abound to you. All grace means all sorts of grace. It means the, all the resources of grace. It means all the resources of love and power and wisdom God is able to give to you. All of it. There's no holding back. Uh, Paul the Apostle, you know, who's called the Apostle of Grace by people, it mentioned the word grace 
over a hundred times in his writings in the Scripture. Over a hundred times. Many times they weren't, they weren't mentioned in the same context always. There was different, different aspects of grace. Peter says the manifold. Different aspects, different levels, different perspectives of grace. Okay? And, pa- and Paul was saying here, God's able to release all of that to you. He's able to make all of that available to you and I. Okay, I mean, He is able to do that. He desires to do that. He has meant to do that for us. In fact, it has been done for us. Okay, we have access to the power of God. We have access to the wisdom of God. We have access to the love of God right now, period. Not based on what we've done, but based on what that He's made it available to us. Are y'all following this? All right, this can change that. And he also used this other word called abound. Everybody say abound. abound. Now, abound speaks of extravagance, right? It speaks of expansiveness of God's blessing. Actually, abound would be a good way to describe the heart of the New Testament. Okay, it's an abounding book. Um, here's some abounding statements, okay, from the Bible. Can I give them to you? Jesus said that he came that he might have... That we, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. That's an abounding, expansive statement. Um, Paul said in Romans 8, 37, that we are what? More than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors. 1 Peter 1, 8, we can have joy unspeakable, full of glory. We can have that. Joy unspeakable. Now, don't get all messed up in church when somebody gets a joy unspeakable. Because if you get to that level of joy, you're, you're probably going to make a mess. I mean, you're going to make a mess wherever you're at. It's just going to be a mess. Joy is messy. Did you know that? It is not orderly. It's messy. You get a person full of joy, they're going to fumble and stumble all over people. They can't help themselves because something in them is rising up. And you know, that, that something says, throw caution to the wind, the heck with what people think. i got something real in me. You know, I've already been through some bad moments. I've got something going now. And church really should be the place where people could come, in, of all places on the earth, to be able to express that joy unspeakable. That, this should be the one place, okay? Or in your house by yourself, you know? I'm, I will admit this. I have not got to the point in church yet that I really express my true self, joy unspeakable, because I know that everybody would promptly get up and leave, so offended, so upset, because it, I would be totally out of control. But I can get totally out of control at home by myself. I mean, just ridiculous. It's, it's shameful almost, almost, Okay. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 4.19. God will meet all our needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now that's how God wants us to begin to see Him and see the Scriptures and see what He's like because the majority of human beings do not see Him. The majority of Christians see God in a different way. Okay. What, has, what God has done in grace, God has set a table for people. And on this table is everything that we could ever desire in our hearts. We tend to treat it like a buffet. You know, we can pick and choose, which that's really all right with God. It really is all right with God. He's happy if you get one little piece of bread off his table. 
But he's saying you can, there's so much more that you and I can have. I wanted to read this uh, one parable uh, in Luke 14, 16, 23. Are y'all following this? This is a parable of Jesus that, you know, he's, trying, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, what, what the kingdom of heaven is like. He said, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many, okay, and sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. That's, that's what this is happening here. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. Okay? The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and report and reported these things to his master, no, no, and therefore I cannot come, so that, so that the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, be, being angry, he was upsetting, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. All right, so this is really a powerful parable here that Jesus is trying to show us something about the Father and about us. Okay? The Father's desire is to fill his house with people. He, he loves people. He adores people. He's, we're everything to him. We're his treasure. You know, the parable of the treasure in the field and the power of the pearl of the great price from god's perspective we're the treasure okay we're the treasure we're the pearl of great price because he sold everything and, and he wants us to see ourselves like that now from our perspective we would say jesus is the treasure he's the that's okay to have that that's the beginning revelation that's entry revelation the greater revelation is for you and i to begin to see ourselves as a treasure hidden in the field to see ourselves as a pearl of great price and that God was the one who sold everything to get to us. When you start really believing that about yourself, your life really can uh, be impacted powerfully. So what happened was, was these people were invited into this, to this banquet, okay? And then they begin to make excuses. Now, if you were a person who really understood the culture of the time that Jesus lived in, you would have a different view on these excuses, okay? Because they saw life different than you and I see it. They don't see life the way we see it. Okay, let me just tell you the, the three excuses, okay, then let you really see what the Lord's trying to show you. It's pretty profound, really, when you, when you really see this. It reveals something about him. The first man said, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask that you have me excused. On the surface, that doesn't look like such a bad excuse, right? You know, I got some property I need to deal with, right? But in that culture, in that place, no one would buy a piece of property without looking at it first. So, you see, that was a... And everybody sitting in that room, everybody who heard that knew that guy is insulting this man. This is an insult for him to even come up with such a thought. 
to say, oh, I bought this piece of property, now I need to go look at it. Are y'all following this? That's the first excuse. It gets worse. I'm telling you, it really does get worse. The next guy said, I have bought five yokes of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excuse. Well, anybody who knows about oxen knows that you don't buy oxen without testing them first. Because you can't have a big old strong ox on one side and a weak ox on the other side. So a man who knew about ox, who were buying oxen, would, all, would already have tested them, would already have known these are the oxens, they've been tested, they've been true, proven, okay? And wouldn't have to go and test them after he'd already bought them. He'd, he would test them first, then buy them. Okay, the third one, now this is where it really gets worse. We think it, we really think this looks good on the surface. Another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. He didn't even ask to be excused. However, the English language here is, doesn't tell you the real truth of what that man was saying. You, you want to know what that man was saying? Do you want to know what that man was saying? Do you really want to know? Huh? It's risque. That man basically was saying, I am going to have, I'll let you fill in that blank, with my wife. Okay? That's what that man was saying. That's what it really said there. A person from that culture, when they read that, they would know immediately that. Now, what in that culture also, anyone who was invited to a home it was considered to be a great honor. And if you, if you rejected the invitation, you were insulting the person who invited you. So what the Lord is saying is, I have taken terrible insults from people. I've invited these people into my house. This is what God the Father is saying in this. This is what Jesus wanted people to know. I've invited all these people into my house. And they've come up with some of the lamest, even dirty excuses of why they have rejected my invitation. And he was saying, this has hurt me. This has wounded me. Now, we need to see that God the Father has been wounded by mankind. He is, he's been hurt by man. man. When a man rejects God, it hurts God. And that's what he was really trying to say there. This is hurtful to God the Father. He's been wounded by this, and it's upsetting to him. But this is what he didn't do. He was upset. He could have called in the soldiers and had them kill those guys over that deal. But he didn't. Instead, he said, well, then, let's go find some poor people. Let's go find some sick people. Let's go find some hurting people. Are y'all following this? I mean... And then when they did that, then he said, well, just go out and get anybody. Anybody that's out there, get them. And so that's a picture of the cross, right? That Jesus was trying to communicate. Do y'all see that? The cross turned, you know, God, God's anger towards mankind, his rightful anger of being rejected and wounded by man, was, you know, at the cross was dealt with. And Jesus wanted us all to see this, and he wanted to see what the Father's heart is really like that his heart is lavished. It's a lavishing heart. It's not a withholding heart. It's not a heart that holds back. 
it's not a heart that says God is an aloof, a miserly father. Which, the way we see God, we are begging God to do things for us, trying to get God to do things in our lives. And Jesus is saying it's exactly opposite. It's exactly the opposite. He wants to just give, give, give. That's all he wants to do. He he is so hungry. He will he'll drag anybody into his house. He will drag the worst person in the world into his house and be happy to have them there, because he loves them and cares about them. He's a lavish God, and that's what abounding means. Yet many of us really don't believe that. I'm convinced. I'm looking at faces in this room that you don't really believe what I'm telling you. You really don't believe that in your life. You don't, we don't look at God like that. We look at God as a God who we've got to be a little bit afraid of him. He's, he's sort of touchy. He gets mad easy. He'll knock you down and step all over you, you know. You know, a lot of people think God wants to destroy New York City. That's one of my pet, you want to hear one of my pet pee things. It's when I hear people talking about New York City, how they want to destroy New York City. But I tell you, I've been in New York City, and I, this is what I felt when I was there. I thought, how could God want to destroy this place with all these people in it? Because he loves all these people. He don't want to hurt these people. He don't love the evil, but he loves the people. He wants to reach those people. I think God wants to have a revival in New York City. I think he wants to reach the place. You know, they tell him, you know, one day it may happen. I don't know everything's going to be destroyed one day, right? So, you know, it will happen one day. But God is not the kind of God that's looking to destroy mankind and judge mankind. He's a, he's, that's, that's for another moment. But we're in a moment now where God is reaching out to us and revealing himself to us and wanting to know that he has a big heart and he's not stingy. He's not wanting to hold back. He's wanting to give. That's his nature. It's, it's really powerful. Now, so... That's the abounding grace. That's God's able to make all grace abound to you. That's how we had to start seeing God, that he wants to give to us. All right, the next thing it's Paul said back there, if you want to put that um, 2 Corinthians 9 back up there, Becca, that we could have, we can always, now this it says we could always have all sufficiency in all things. Always. Okay? Now, does anybody have all sufficiency in all things all the time in their life? How many people feel like they're walking in that right? I'm walking in all sufficiency in all things all the time. But Paul said we could. You see, so there's something wrong with our lives, not something wrong with the Bible. It's really what we believe is what's wrong. And see, what God wants to change us to get to change the way we think, change the way we believe, and begin to believe in every situation I'm in, I can have all sufficiency for all things. I, I, there, there should be not any lack in my life. I'm in this situation. I can have what I need for this situation in this moment. Now, one of the parables, I'm not going to read it because I don't really have time, or I don't want to take the time. Maybe. I'd really, really tell it to you because I have my own twist on telling it. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many people know about the parable of the Good Samaritan? You know, this is the way. I'm going to tell you my version. There was a guy. Okay, and he fell into the hands of some thieves, some robbers. He got robbed one day. He got rolled. He got robbed. And not only did they rob him, they beat him up badly. Okay, and he had some nice clothes on him, so they took his clothes all the way down to his underwear and took all his clothes and left him on the side of the road, beat up naked, and really he was bleeding. And he was dying slowly because it was hot out there. And the pastor in town 
where he was beat up really bad, had a big leadership meeting at the church. And so he was driving to church that day, and he saw this guy over there, and he thought, my goodness, that poor soul. Somebody's messed him up. Somebody needs to do something about it, but I don't really have time because I have a leadership meeting to go to. I have these important leaders waiting on me at church. Okay? So I've got to get there. In fact, I'm going to drive sort of away so he won't notice that I went by just in case he makes it and could condemn me later for ignoring him. <laughs> then the worship leader, a few minutes later, is on his way to worship practice with some other really cool musicians that he had gathered to write songs, okay, and do music together. They're headed over there to one of them's house, and they see it, this worship leader sees this poor soul slaying out there and says, I, man, that's terrible. Good Lord, I wish somebody should be doing something about this. But I don't really have time because I got all my cool musician friends waiting on me for us to write worship songs that we can go Sunday and worship the Lord, okay, and have a really great time. Well, then this Mormon, and he is a bad Mormon because he don't even do the Mormon stuff really good. And he kind of goes after Christians. You know how most Mormons won't go after Christians? Well, he goes after them. He, you know, he trash talks them. The people in the Mormon church don't even like him. Okay? Well, he's coming by, and he sees this guy, and he stops. And he gets the guy, like, this guy's dying. And he takes him to the hospital, finds out the guy doesn't have insurance, says, I'll pay for it. We'll take up an offering at the Mormon church Sunday to pay for your... Okay, for your, and so the Mormon church takes up an offering, helps this guy, gets him healed, gets him whole. And that's, Jesus said when he finished that, well, who's the, who's the people who did right in that situation? Well, in just, if you don't know, in, in Jesus' version of it, it was a priest and a Levite. The priest was the pastor. The Levite was the worship leader. And it was a Samaritan which in Jesus' day, they were people who had a bad religion, they had bad race, they had bad everything. They were just a rejected people. The Jews hated them, you know, and they, they didn't really care for the Jews. This was the wrong person. What would we do if the Holy Spirit broke out at the Mormon church in town? Would we be offended? Like, what in the heck, Lord, don't you know they're Mormons? I mean, you ain't supposed to be doing stuff in Mormon churches, Right? I've wondered about that. What if he did that? What if Jesus showed up somewhere in a church that didn't even believe right? I mean, be, believe bad stuff. I mean, bad stuff about the cross. And he, but he showed up anyway. Because I believe he would love to show up in places like that. I believe that. And if he did one day, I, was, I would be initially shocked and a li little bit put off. But then I would adjust myself and say, but that's the way he is. Because he cares about those people. And he can fix their doctrine faster than anybody can. You know? And see, I think what happens with us, okay? The pastor off to his big leadership meeting. The worship leader off to his songwriting session. Okay? Or the businessman going to his million-dollar business deal. Or the housewife has got to get the groceries bought for the kids. See, we're so consumed with trying to be something Get somewhere in life, okay? Make all our stuff work out. We're consumed with that. 
And when the grace of God is right there in front of us, right there, but we're consumed trying to get somewhere and be somebody. Right? And when we are, we miss the Lord Himself. We miss Him laying on the side of the road because He was the guy laying on the side of the road dying. Because He gets in them people that are dying. And He's sitting there saying, is anybody seeing me? He's right there for us. And if, when we get this 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 heart of grace working in them, we're not trying to get anywhere no more. We're not trying to be anywhere no more. We already are. And then we're freed to look around us and see the Lord all around us, wherever He wants us to see Him. You know, I remember... Y'all okay? <laughs> I remember in 2006 hearing, you know... Y'all know about Heidi Baker, right? 10,000 churches. Like, she's the key to her revelation on the churches and what God was doing is they were able to see God in one little child, one person. They could see that one little human being that was rejected and thrown out the door instead of seeing the conference circuit or, you know, let's have this big thing. No, they looked at the little thing. And they could see the little thing. And God really made their ministry what it is by that little, the little thing. The little person that God just absolutely adored and was saying, somebody, somebody on earth needs to pay attention to these little people that nobody's paying attention to. And if they'll pay attention to it, I will make, I will do all kinds of stuff. You know, and I think in our lives, when we can get this revelation of grace working in our lives, okay, that's when we can have the all-sufficiency for all things. That means everything. That means all your personal needs. Suddenly, your life and what you're doing, you know, is not the most important thing because there's an all-sufficiency working for you on that. And, and you have the time, you have the mental time, you have the emotional energy to see what the Father's doing. Otherwise, you won't. Right? Otherwise, you'll be too consumed. And that's why we're consumed. And that's, we're not seeing the Father and what He's doing. And we think He's not speaking to us. And we, I got to, you know, and we try to do all this stuff and it's like we're doing it backwards. Trying to get, hear God and wanting to know what He's doing so we can do it with. All that, see, it's just the wrong way. We got it all backwards. We're back. Our Christianity has become a backwards Christianity. It's not centered on God Himself and what He's doing. So we get down the road and we can't find God no more in our lives. We've lost touch with Him, with this person. Because we have become the center and what we're doing is important. And where we're going is important. That becomes the most important thing in our life. And listen, man, if you bought a farm, that's important. If you have a wife, that's important. You know, if you got a new dump truck, that's important. You know, all those things. But when those things become too important when we don't really see the Father's heart and, and see His grace working in our life. And we're, we're struggling to survive. We're struggling to make ends meet. We're struggling to do this. Struggling to get promotions. 
struggling to have money, struggling to make our ministry work, struggling to have a good church, struggling, and it's all wrong. It's wrong because that's, not, that's what Jesus was saying. Don't live your life like that. I've got a better life for you. I've got something different for you. And so we have adopted another version of legalism and religion and not even known it. And it's not just the Baptists who did it. It's the churches like this. It's us. We're guilty. We're guilty. We're guilty of doing it backwards. Instead of having a heart to receive everything He's given us and believe in His love and goodness and mercy, no matter what, which changes us. I mean, how many people, like, you see somebody coming, they're needy, and like, you want to run the other way, right? What? Maybe you should in some cases, right? I mean, really, there's no rule in this deal. They may be the rule that day is run as hard as you can, son, because I have not invited you into that. There's somebody else two blocks down the street that's got the... But if, if we're really... You know, if we really have this revelation of his love and his power and his wisdom, and we see that person like, oh, yeah, that one's for me. Okay, agenda has been crashed. I mean, might call the leaders. I, I'm not going to make the leadership meeting. I'm really sorry. I just really want to be there so I could hobnob with all of y'all. <laughs> get, you know, get around all you great people. But there's this person who's not so great that I think is the most important person on the earth right now as far as the Father's concerned. And I think that's what makes a, a Christian great is when they start living their life like that. But you can't live your life like that if you don't see the Father as abundant and abounding and wanting to give you know, to you. Well, I will admit this, that living a grace lifestyle is very messy. You know... Um, in Matthew 13, I think it's Matthew 13, yeah, you know, there was this uh, parable that Jesus gave where he was talking about the kingdom of God. And he said, it's like a man who planted a field. But while everybody was asleep, the enemy came in and planted some stuff into that field. And the field grew up, and it was wheat, you know, the wheat and tares thing. And the servant said, What happened? Well, the enemy has planted these tares into my field. In other words, Jesus was saying, in the kingdom of God, there are tares planted into the kingdom of God. That's what he was saying. Okay? Servant said, shall we pull them up? Get them people out of the church. They're messy. They're dirty. They're wrong. They're from the devil. Let's get them out. You know what Jesus said? Nah, don't do it. The Father will take care of that. He'll send angels at the end of the age. They'll separate things. That's their job. That's not your job. It's not your job. Stop doing that. That's what he was saying. Don't think like that. That's what he was trying to really get to him. Don't think that way. Don't think about getting people out that don't belong. Hey, maybe we could convert tares into wheat. Do a miracle. So that's what makes grace so messy. It's just a mess. It creates a messy church. Grace is always wanting to change things. I hate to say. It doesn't. Do a status quo. It's in, it's in motion. It's alive. So things change with grace. And that creates problems. 
Are you okay? I'm done, I think. Let me do that one thing here, okay? Okay? Just let me do this one thing. Because it says in abundance that grace enables us to have an abundance for every good work. Because that's one of the issues that a lot of people have with grace is when you really start, when a person really starts coming into a revelation of grace, this is a good sign, actually. It frustrated me at first when I first started dealing with it. Well, Byron, you said, how many people say this to me? You don't have to do nothing. It's all grace. It's all God. I'm like, oh, gosh. What? That is kind of right, you know, but, but you've got to remember something. It's kind of right, but God still wants your body. He wants to still possess you and work through you. So a lot of times what happens is when people start really coming into a revelation of grace, People who have been somewhat diligent in their walk with the Lord suddenly they become sort of sloppy. Have you all ever noticed that? I don't know if you have, but they do. Some of them do. They'll just quit doing stuff. Oh, you know, I don't have to go to church. I don't have to read the Bible. I mean, you know, it's all grace. I don't have to do nothing. And so that ain't really bad in one sense, but it could become bad. It really could. And I've seen it become bad in people's lives. And it's sort of saddening. You know, Paul sort of hit on that when he said, shall we sin that grace might abound? Because human nature is always looking for a way to get away with stuff, they think. And so they think grace enables them to get away with doing bad things because grace is all God working in you, giving you power. And that's just like a a little immature way of seeing life. And it's sort of... I just have come to the conclusion... You know, first I wanted to really get mad at the people. Well, I ain't never talking about grace again in this church. Forget it. I'm done with that. If that's the way you're going to be about it. I really thought that. Then I had to, I need to stop for a while and think about this because I don't really know how to answer that. Um, so here's the way you answer it, though. It's, it says here that, you know, grace enables to have an abundance for every good works. Right? That's, that's what he said. So, let me read 1 Corinthians 15. Are you okay? This is what Paul said. This is such a cool verse in the Bible. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Okay? That's identity. So, that's the first thing. So, you see, when people first come in this revelation gate, that's the first thing that is going to start working on them is their true identity in the Lord. That's why they get whacked about doing stuff because all of a sudden they're... They're thinking who they are. They're working on that part of their life, okay? Or they should be. That's A true revelation of grace really will really talk to you about your identity. Paul, I am what I am. You know, that's why he didn't have a problem saying, I'm an apostle, I'm being called to do this. I mean, it was just no, no deal to him. He, didn't, he wasn't mealy-mouth about it. He wasn't you know, shy about it. He wasn't arrogant about it. Just, he was a matter of fact, this is who I am. Because he walked in this revelation of grace. And then he says, his grace towards me was not in vain. And then he says, listen, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Now he, but, it, but not I, the grace of God which was with me. Now I'll tell you something. If you have a revelation of grace, at some point in time you're going to have to look at this and make some decisions in your life about it. Because grace is not a dead thing. Grace is not a, just something that sits still. Grace, grace has its energy, its power, its life. It wants to express. It wants to do. It really does. 
So you can have two people doing the same thing. From outward appearance, natural appearance, it would look like they were doing the same. But one of them could be totally motivated by the grace of God in them. Okay? And the other one could be motivated by trying to get somewhere with God. In other words, the grace of God was an outcome of what they had versus trying to get somewhere. And it may not look any different on the outside, but the person itself would be a huge difference within them. And so God wants to... Grace motivates us, is what Paul was saying. It really will motivate you. And when people say all this other stuff, they're either immature or, or they're just lying. They're lying to themselves and they're lying to everybody around them. That's, that's really what I think. If a person's immature in their revelation, it's okay. They'll grow in it. You know, you, you give them time, you love them, you, you, you know what I'm saying? It, it, yeah, you give them more grace. If they're lying, you give them time, you love them, you give them more grace. <laughs> you, know? you tell them the truth in love, you know. But you need to know that by the Spirit. Does that make sense to you guys? I hope you all getting something on this. You know, I really do. I hope you all getting something on this. Because God, there's a download, I believe, of, you know, love, power, and wisdom. And I particularly think wisdom now because we need some understanding of the times we live in. We, here's what we need. We need, in our country, this is in the natural, we need leaders who are willing, you know, they just need to get down here with the people. Okay? That, that's what I see about our leaders. Can't, get down here with us. If, if something bad's happening, I don't want to hear about you going to some place away and you're safe and secure, but the people you were leading, you just left them, you know, as sheep without a shepherd. I, I think that's what we need as leaders. I think the church needs that. I think the church needs all these great prophets and men. Get off the stage and get down here with the people. Don't leave the people. Be with the people. That's what a leader is. That's what Jesus did. He was with them. When, going, when things got hard, he didn't run from, run away. Right? Right, he said that. The shepherd's going to be there. I'm not running. If trouble comes, I'm not running. That's what he said. And see, I think our, I think our country lacks that. And I think the body of Christ lacks that. I really do. And that's just like, a, Lord, help us. Help us. Now, I think there's some great shepherds. I ain't saying everybody. I'm just saying I think the need of that hour is, is men and women to see, you know, leaders that are with the people. They're not something above the people. They're with the people. And when trouble comes, you know, the leaders are there in the midst of the trouble. They're not off somewhere you know, in a resort somewhere with their stockpile of stuff while all the people that they were supposedly leading and supposedly serving are suffering. I don't know why I was telling you all that. I've just been thinking about that a lot lately. I, I just hear stuff and it just, just breaks my heart. I hear it like, man, that's not leading. That's, that's, that's like Jesus said, that's what the Gentiles do it. You know, that's what he was saying. In other words, that's what the world does. That's not what we do. And so, Lord, help us, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm not putting down the, the our leaders in government. I'm just saying I just think it's what we need from. We don't need arrogance. We need people who are going to be with us and say, I'm with you. 
Okay, if things go bad, I'm here with you. If you are suffering, I'm going to suffer with you. I'm not going to live a separate life from you. And I think when we have leaders like that, they're easier to follow and they're easier to trust because you know that they, they have, they're like true shepherds at God. So we could pray that the Lord would give our country true shepherds, you know, as leaders. And we could pray that the Lord would give the body of Christ true shepherds as leaders. And I think those are really powerful prayers. But amen, amen. Y'all good? Yeah, Lord, have mercy on all of us, right? I want to pray the revelation of grace just get released more on us, Lord, that people in this room would begin to see the Father as an abounding, abundant Father. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to measure up. He's already saying, no, you're already in. Even if you feel like you're a tear today, I think the Lord probably said, no, that's not true. You're not tear at all. And I just pray, Father, that every person in this room, including me, down to the youngest little infant in this church and the people we're around and love, Lord, that we would see you, we would see you like Jesus wanted you to see, wanted us to see you. That we would see your your heart of love, your extravagant heart. And that you're even though it cost you, it hurt you, it wounded you, you felt rejected, you were rejected. Yet you didn't take it out on us you, you in fact you turned that anger into grace you you reached out to more people you reached out beyond the borders of what you originally was doing and we thank you for that today i pray that every person could see that in this room and you and i ask you father to break the lies down that's working in us that's telling us something that's not true about you that we would know you we would know that you care about us lord I just thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, just do that. And, Lord, when we're offended by your grace, then that's not a bad thing. It's you showing us something. Here's what I want you to do. When God shows you something bad about yourself, it's not to punish you. It's to show you that things in there and it's in your way. Get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. That's what he's doing. It's not to condemn you. It's not to criticize you. It's him saying, listen, this is hurtful to you. This is hurting you. I want to get this out of your life, and that's why I'm letting you see it. And it may feel, feel hurtful seeing it, okay? But he's saying, but I want to get it out of your life. It's because it's like poison to you, and I want to free you from it. Instead of feeling all condemned and wanting to go run and hide when, when you realize something about yourself that's not good. You, it's, it's His love, it's His mercy trying to help you. And when you begin to think that way, it's just a better day when, you, you know, when your spouse tells you the truth of love and you didn't, that you didn't want to hear. It's a better day. Amen? All right, who, let's get the ministry team up here. Jen and... Brian Nunn, Lord bless them. They're great, aren't they? Yeah. They're Kenny and Barbara. You know, Kenny and Barbie and Dean drives their car. Because <laughs> his car is the same car that Kenny and Barbie have, that doll thing. It's literally his car. It's a doll car. So what we want to do is invite people up here to receive prayer about anything that you have in your life that you would like to receive prayer about. You know, it can be about what I talked about. It could be about your health. It could be about your finances. It could be about your mind. That was a real word that uh, 
that Paula had about the mind this morning? Because right before that, the Lord said, you need to tell your soul to get in line with what I'm doing because I felt this oppressing thing on my soul. And so I was telling my soul, you need to stop being stupid and, you know, enjoy the Lord. And then Paula got that word. So if you have that, you know, feeling sort of down or something like that, the Lord wants to break that off in you this morning and free you to enjoy all His goodness and love. Amen? And otherwise, you're dismissed, and God bless you. And remember, next Sunday, we're going to the park.